And of course, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, they were always popular, a little bit too popular for my taste. I was looking for things that were not quite as as predominant as those folks. But I also was a big Creedence Clearwater Revival fan. It kind of leads into how I got interested in Ian Hunter and Mott the Hoople, because if you know the time, Creedence was having problems with their record company, and they were kind of on the decline. So I thought, well, you know, that was my favorite band. Now where do I look? And people started talking about what was coming over from kind of the revival of the British rock and the rock scene from there. And that's when I heard about Mott the Hoople, and that's how I got interested in them. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Busting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. Uh, We are getting off the Bruce train, though I'm sure he will come up. And the doctor is in. Are you tired of hearing that joke, Mick? Uh, no, that's, uh, I always tell them I'm not the kind of doctor that can help you, which is usually I say I'm a different kind of doctor, so not an MD. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I was asked the other day, um, they said, you know, are you, t- are, when someone asked me the other day, when was the first time you, someone made a Jesse Jackson joke to you? Well, um, yeah. <laughs> and I said that it was in 84 when he was running for president sure. the first time. I said before that everyone always just called me they they made fun of me because I was Jesse James. Oh, uh, okay. so having that, <laughs> yes. So, yes, Mick is here. Uh, tell us a little about yourself, sir. Sure. Well, I can say a little bit about the things that I do, so that would be helpful as far as the background and where that whole name of the Doctor Digital came from. I have a di- digital marketing agency, and I do custom software development. And it's a whole range of things having to do with the internet. And since I would say I'm a recovering academic, that's where the doctor part came in. I put the two together. So it's one plus one equals two. And that is an academic background based on what I know, what I would say about knowledge having to do with the internet, hence the doctor of digital. So why why recovering academic? Did you decide that was not what where your calling was anymore? Definitely, because, you know, like a lot of people, you get into education, which I did. And so I finally found out and figured out what education was all about. And the typical thing you can do is with a terminal degree, I said, well, that doesn't mean I die, right? No, that just means that's the far as you can go. It's like, okay, so what do you do with that now? Well, you teach. So that was the big goal. And I had done that, you know, so you get on a tenor track and it's like, okay, well, I've done this for a while. Um, you know, now what? So. I decided to do some other things as well and went into consulting and did all the things that were IT related or related to computers. Because at the time, this was in 1994, I realized that this thing called the internet was not going to go away and it really had to be taken seriously in education. And that's how I started. So I started putting up distance learning courses for a university and then decided, well, you know, there's other people that could use this or other corporations. And so I moved into more of the executive roles and the consulting role from there. So kind of got out of education in a way, but still stayed in there in in some ways. 
Well, good. I, I'm going to talk a little bit about that as we go through your journey, but I always like to start at the beginning. So talk about where did you grow up? And what kind of music did you listen to when you were growing up? Sure. So I am like Bruce, because we're going to bring him up. I am a Jersey boy also, though you can't hear it in my accent because I hopefully I lost it a long time ago. That's what I was trying to do. But I was actually born in Jersey City, New Jersey. So I'm definitely a Jersey boy, but a little bit further north of Bruce. And then also lived outside the area of Philadelphia, too, which is pretty close to all the things that were happening as far as Asbury Park and where he grew up. So kind of knew a little bit about him. He had kind of a similar background in some ways. Working class family, you know, factory worker. My dad was a factory worker. So I understood kind of a lot of the blue collar roots that Springsteen does talk about. And I can relate to him in that case. When I did go to high school, by that time, a family had moved to California and then things were a little bit different. I was really exposed to a whole lot more, given in California is not New Jersey in a lot of ways, and especially when I got there. And so as far as growing up in the house, my parents were about the most non-rock and roll people that you could ever imagine. And this is not to criticize them at all. They were fantastic parents, but even music was not a big thing in the family. My dad listened to sports and that's what he wanted to hear. But in 1960, we heard a lot of Percy Faith, that is theme from a summer place. That was on the big stereo that the family had. So I heard a lot of that. And if there was any music that my parents listened to, it really came from their era, which was not Nat King Cole. They also listened to Sergio Mendez and Brazil 66, Al Hurt. That was kind of this sort of very pop, soft kind of music, instrumental music and things like that. So if anything, that's what my parents were listening to. That's what I listened to. So when did you find your own musical taste? When did you start developing that? Definitely that comes in high school because I started hanging out with my buddies and uh, there was no Percy Faith that they were listening to. So right. Time, we started listening probably more. Uh, there was some hard rock in there. So we listened to Deep Purple. Uh, um, Deep Purple, Black Sabbath, Grand Funk Railroad, Led Zeppelin. I also liked a little bit more bluesy things. So at the time, they were less pop-oriented, but the Jay Giles Band also really liked John Mayall and the Blues Breakers. Also liked Hooker and Heat, which was a double album, Canned Heat and John Lee Hooker. And of course, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, they were always popular. A little bit too popular for my taste. I was looking for things that were not quite as 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 predominant as those folks but i also was a big credence clearwater revival fan it kind of leads into how i got interested in ian hunter and mott the hoople because if you know the time credence was having problems with their record company and they were kind of on the decline so i thought well you know that was my favorite band now where do i look and people started talking about what was coming over from kind of the revival of the british rock and the rock scene from there and that's when i heard about mott the hoople and that's how i got interested in them why do you think, what about it made you want to not go the popular path? What, what about it you didn't want to go with the Beatles or the Stones? You were looking for more obscure and not necessarily unknown bands. What about, why did you think that was important to a young Mick? Well, I think uh, my buddies and I, we, we were not cool but we were trying to be i think so okay 
<laughs> we spent a, a lot of time at the time. If you were in Southern California, the record store was licorice pizza. And so what we do is we'd hang out and we were always looking for, well, what's the next big thing? Kind of what they used to say about Dylan, like who's the next big thing and what's coming right. around. And, you know, rather than being at the, the Stones and the Beatles, which everybody liked, obviously, I mean, you know, they're huge. But we were always trying to say, you know, where are the bands or who are the artists that are not quite as well known, but it's good music. And that's what I think was the attraction to it. So it's good in the same vein as like a lot of classic rock, but it was not quite as popular. So, you know, we've been a little bit trying to be cool, I guess. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. And uh, so let's talk about it. You, you, you shared... Who is your favorite musician? You you mentioned already, but I'll give you a chance again. And when can, can you remember when you first heard them? And if so, well, what about the music spoke to you? Yeah, and I think it's not necessarily when I first heard, because I know I had heard them, but it was the first concert. So I'll put it that way. And it's kind of right. like, you know, hear this thing, you know, change your life is what people will say. Absolutely. No question about it. So September 14th of 1973, there was a guy who had a car, which was good. He was a year older. 
and had a good friend who knew him, went to church with him. And he said, we're going to go see Mont the Hoople. I said, okay, yeah, because I had heard of them. And so another buddy, my best friend, this other guy, and the guy who had the car, which was really important, took us to the Hollywood Palladium. So September 14th, 1973, we saw Mott the Hoople, but it was a phenomenal concert. And not even just because of the band, they were headlining, but we also heard a band that nobody had really heard of before Orphan, but at the time, Joe Walsh and Barnstorm, he had left James Gang, uh, Blue Oyster Cult, and then Mott the Hoople. But yeah, these guys absolutely blew me away. It was the show. It was the 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 rock star image and Ian Hunter is a very very powerful person on stage. I mean, he's like he has a very stage presence, and I thought, yeah, this is kind of the ultimate in some ways. And if you know a little bit about Mott the Hoople, the band Mick Ralphs had left. He was the first guitarist for Mott the Hoople and Luther Grovesnor, who on stage was Ariel Bender. Again, you know, a little made up a name here, but uh, that was the first actual live gig that. Luther did, and it was just phenomenal. It was a phenomenal show. Very, um, a lot of showmanship, the fact that they could engage the audience, the fact that people were really motivated, well, you know, all those kinds of things. And you're in a crowd, it's hard to stay relaxed, you know, laid back, especially when the music is so compelling. So that's what it was. It's like, I want to know who are these guys and what's this all about? And I think the draw is really the lyrics. There's no ways about it. That's why I got specifically interested in the lead singer of Mothubu was Ian Hunter. And that's why I followed him since that time. You know, it's I often joke about it only halfway kidding that two kinds of people, the people that go to a Bruce Springsteen show and go, wow, that was long. <laughs> and then the others that go, oh, my goodness, when can I go do this again? Um, I love hearing that story about seeing them live, the light switch, right? It clicked for you. You're like, oh, my goodness, this is something that I want to go. Um, it's 73. Um, by the way, my road to Damascus moment was in a Montgomery Wards in Lake Charles, Louisiana in 1977. I picked up endless summer on eight track from the beach boys and i'd never heard anything like that before in my life um so my first musical obsession was the beach boys and brian wilson um so i i know the pain you can't open up a browser and type like i just did the band and then they just gave me the set list, uh, which may not may be correct or may not be correct. But, uh, you know, you how did you find out more about them? How did you find out more about Mata Hoople? Yeah, and I think it's seeing the difference again. People who weren't around at the time have a harder understanding, a harder time understanding the period. But, you know, their television was a kind of a restricted medium in some ways. You had to wait till Friday night to see any rock and roll at all. So there's some Friday shows, was in concert, Don Kirshner's rock concert and things like that. But essentially, there's no rock special, on television. Right? Yeah, Midnight Special. But I mean, you yeah. know, you had to wait for it. And so yes. when we went to record stores, when I said it was licorice pizza, we were always looking for what's playing, you know, what are these guys listening to? Who is this? And I really started to delve deeply because the difference between 
a British audience than the American audience because Mott and at that time on the rise was David Bowie. They were much hip to it a lot faster than the American audiences because they had to come over here and then you had to hear them in concert and then slowly get into radio stations. And one of the songs that Ian talks about is Cleveland Rocks. And the reason he does that because he said they go to LA and New York and there's all these people that weren't really paying attention and you go to Cleveland and man, they really appreciate good music. And so they found a whole lot more support in the small towns, you know, like maybe it's Louisiana, because you appreciate it because you're not in New York, you're not in LA, you're not seeing all the hippest bands, you're not seeing all the latest ones, but boy, they come to your town and, you know, it's just, it's like an explosion taking off. And I started delving into it and I saw, well, these guys have been around for a while. You know, they had been on Island Records. So at the time, traffic was with them and, you know, there were other well-known bands and I started looking, they've been out for a while and I started digging deeper and deeper, but it's the lyrics. I mean, it comes down to saying it's Hunter's lyrics. Here's a guy who's on in Mott the Hoople and he writes a song, I wish I was your mother. And I'm thinking to myself, now what kind of a rock star writes a song like that? And what is that about? And then sure enough, you know, you start digging into it and he's talking about his background, his upbringing his family and when he had just recently gotten married and i think that was kind of the interest too he's a guy that is really telling about himself and his story and his life through his music and it kind of in a way it sort of pops the bubble on the whole rock star image you know he wrote a diary of a rock and roll star didn't like the title he wanted rock and roll sweepstakes but the publisher didn't like it but he's just telling, you know, how boring the plane rides were. And, you know, it's like it's not all groupies and alcohol and drugs, at least not for him. And I said, you know, this guy is probably something somebody can get to know. And, you know, sure enough, when I started digging into his background, he had started and heard all the early rock and roll bands. He saw them all, you know, Buddy Holly. He saw Buddy Holly. He saw Little Richard. He saw all those people. And then that's what got him turned on to music. And at the same time, you start realizing, of course, this is an average working class guy. He's a, he was actually a capstan type of guy. He was a factory worker, got fired from 44 jobs, finally gets a break in Mott the Hoople in 1969. And he's at the ripe old age of 29, which is pretty doggone old to be starting in rock. But he had actually been playing for 10 or 12 years by that point. So he's a relatable guy, you know working class. Again, I said, my dad was a factory worker. And I go, well, this guy is too. There was just something about that that I could relate to him, I think. So Mick, I always like to preface this, especially with a band that um, disbands and comes back you know, routinely. But the amount of times you've seen a band or a performer live is not a fair barometer of how big of a fan you are. So in this case, you know, had, were you able to see the band or him live other times besides this initial one? Well, I, the only thing I really regret, of course, I, I couldn't afford it at the time. I had never seen him with Mick Ronson because Ronson was David Bowie's guitarist and he's listened to Bowie's records. And I go, you know, as much as a genius Bowie is and obviously was, I mean, I'm listening to Ronson's guitar work and I go, this guy was phenomenal. And so I did not see when Hunter and Ronson teamed up and, you know, I heard their records, obviously, and they're live and I really like Rono's playing, but I never saw him during that period of time. 
I had the second time after 1973, took a really long time because I saw Ian by himself, he had been forming the rant band at that time. So in 2001 was the second time that I saw him at the theater of living arts in Philadelphia. And then since that time, then it goes into, I've actually lost count because there were dozens and dozens of times I saw him. He lives in Connecticut. So in terms of performing, he performed a lot in new England. So after like 2010, up to about 2019, I actually saw him dozens and dozens of times. This is a, the, true mark of a fan because I've kind of, I think I've kind of set a record. I saw him three nights in a row in New York city on the East coast. I have family and I also lived in California. I saw him three nights in a row at three different venues in California and six times in one month. I think that qualifies me as a fan. Yes, it does. Um, I, I love that passion and it, it, it is wonderful. We often talk about that Bruce has been a good companion to us fans during our journey, during our musical life. And so it sounds like Ian has been that to you, right? A, a good companion um, for you musically and with your life, hasn't he? Yeah, there's no question. So in last July, I actually wrote a novel or came out with published a novel and, you know, sure enough, it was a very difficult period in my life. And I think just like anybody that can relate to, if you're really passionate about somebody, how did you get through and how did I get through? Well, I was listening to his music because having had some sort of traumatic experience, it's, there's no question there's a connection between the artist and the person who's listening because that music gets you through. And so when I wrote the novel, I go, sure enough. And he was kind enough. He actually gave me permission. I quoted fairly generalist generously from his lyrics and i had asked him i said you know would you mind can i do it and he goes yeah go ahead so i go well that's pretty cool and so i have a number of lyrics and a novel that i wrote it's called burning america uh what's it about well it was this difficult period in my life that i would say yeah if i had not had the music and hadn't found all these things that i had really wanted to because i had was faced with a custody and parental alienation issue which was extraordinarily difficult. So there was a period of time when our daughter was not at home, which is very difficult. I had to track her down, find her, get her restored to the home. And so a lot of the lyrics really made a whole lot of sense. Uh, there's a, one of the songs that Hunter wrote, it's You Nearly Did Me In. I go, yeah, I can relate to that. Mm -hmm. This situation nearly did me in. And then another song that I quoted from is Purgatory. I've been living in Purgatory and anything's better than this. I go, yeah. I mean, there's the lyrics that really hit home because I'm like, yeah, that expresses pretty much what I'm feeling. And that's why I thought it was really appropriate to have those included in the novel. And like I said, I'm really grateful because when I contacted Hunter, he did say, yeah, go ahead and use the lyrics. So I appreciate that. So I was going to ask, had you, have you been able to meet him? Um, in in the past so, yeah and it, yes. it, it's um kind of unusual so yeah i've had you know small chats with him i put it that way and uh, one of the best experiences is a time that he had a gig that was pretty close when i was living in pennsylvania in phoenixville pennsylvania and i've had him sign some things that i had and again some memorabilia and things like that which were really nice i've got his first record which i found out that he does not have <laughs> because he told me that and in Phoenixville, we started chit-chatting like we were old friends. And people have said this, actually, from the days of Mott the Hoople. 
Joe Elliott from Def Leppard became a huge fan because how down to earth the band was. And I think that's the way Hunter is. He's pretty much like I said, he's kind of like a working class everyday kind of guy, even though he's been a musician for all these years. And also members of the class also used to follow Mott the Hoople, you know, again, because oh, these guys are really down to earth and really just like ordinary people. But yeah, having him sign some memorabilia and things like that and having these little personal stories, I showed him. Ian, that is, at one of the gigs, this was in Hoboken, New Jersey. And I said, Ian, you know, would you mind signing it? And he goes, no. And he looked at it and he goes, what is this? And I said, well, this is actually the first record that you got songwriting credit on. And it's the only one that is under your real name because Ian Hunter is just, it's a stage name. His last name is actually Patterson. And he looked at it and they said, yeah, I don't even have a copy of these. <laughs> I was thinking to myself, well, you're not going to get my copy because I <laughs> want it, but uh, I thought it was really interesting. And I think, you know, artists that I've found there, creative people don't look backward. And I think that's one thing you find out about them. You know, if I were a songwriter and if I wanted to be a songwriter and this was my big dream, I would have the copy of my first songwriting credit on an actual 45. But I, you know, can tell you right from the horse's mouth, he doesn't have it. I uh, guess it's like, it's like he doesn't care. He just moves on to the next project and writes other songs and does other things. So you mentioned before we hit record, there's a Springsteen connection between your your favorite uh, artists. So talk to me about that uh, connection. Sure. And that's one of the things I thought for your audience. You know, I don't know if they know this, but this might be yeah. interesting. So the big man. Clarence Clemens actually played sax on two songs on one of Hunter's albums. That's all the good ones are taken. There's a video, which he doesn't appear in, but it's the sax solo. It's actually Clarence Clemens playing that. And another little story comes out of this, this uh, little storyline. Ian was talking to Bruce when they were recording in the power station in New York City. And Ian dared Mick Ronson to sing, or he was going to ask, Bruce to sing on the next record. And Ronson actually took up the challenge and he goes, okay, I'm going to sing it. But that was when the daylight comes. And that's one of the few times that Ronson actually did lead vocals because he was known as a guitarist. And he didn't really sing a whole lot. So on a dare, we either had Mick Ronson or we almost had Bruce Springsteen, but that's when the daylight comes. And also the core of the E Street Band actually had played on one of the albums, You're Never Alone with a Schizophrenic. So that's the bass, Gary Talent, Roy Bitton, Bitton on keyboards, and Max Weinberg. They form the core backing band on You're Never Alone with a Schizophrenic. And that's the fourth studio album of, album of Ian Hunter. I and did I, not know that. That's amazing. Well, yes. Well, I'm just giving you a little bit of trivia, but see, I was looking. I know there's connections. Yeah. And I got one more for you, too. Please. So, Here's one you might enjoy. Ian Hunter wrote a song that is a little bit hard to get a hold of, but it's called Listen to the A-Track. And if you want to hear a connection, I guess they sort of know each other, right? So, I mean, I don't know how stars hang out and how much they know. They have each other's phone numbers. I don't know. But in any case, I got this power station story. And for some reason, Hunter was talking to Bruce. And then there's also one that on Listen to the A-Track, Here's what Ian says. I quote the lyrics. He says, sometimes I got a woman in here. He's talking about a date or being alone with a woman. And I put on Bruce Springsteen's new double album. 
And then just when everything's getting hot, I start turning the volume right down low. Baby, let me snuggle right next to you. So you actually have a mention of Bruce Springsteen on an Ian Hunter record. That is awesome. Um, I, I usually ask um, about favorite albums or favorite songs, but I, I guess I want to twist this a little bit. If if me or my audience wants to explore what, where do you recommend we start? What, what are some songs or albums that we should start with to know more about this artist? Yep. I would say there's one other thing that I haven't mentioned because you might not know. I'm actually writing a book on Ian Hunter and I'm going to oh. go, that might be helpful, but it's the, the on track series by Sonic bond publishing. And what that does as a series, it goes through every album, every song that an artist has written. So I'm doing Ian Hunter's solo career from when he started solo in 1975, right up to the present, but a really good question. Yes. So where would you start? Well, Again, this is pretty amazing, I think, anyway, and this is why Hunter is a real inspiration to me. He's 83 years young, I'm not kidding, and he just released his last album, April 21st, that's Defiance Volume 1, and he's also now about 60-70% on Defiance Volume 2, which will be out later in the year. So the guy that keeps got going, he got into rock and roll late, like I mentioned, he was trying for a long time. 10, 12 years, started in Matahoopal at 29. And people have asked him, you know, you're 83. Like, how long are you going to keep going? He's, well, I got into the game late. I'm going to keep on going as far as I can, as long as I can. And he actually talks about it. So if you see Defiance Volume 1 just released, just out, and I really do honestly think it's one of his best ever. So he's got some songs on there. One, the song is called Defiance, and that's how it opens up. And it's basically answering the question, how long are you going to going? Well, he's being a little bit defiant because in the lyrics, he says, I was considered washed up at 30 and here it is 50 years later and I'm still going. So I'm going, well, yeah, he's going to keep on going. I love the story. Um, I am not, I'm not sure how familiar you are, but, you know, Bruce just released a covers album um, that he did just for fun. But in the fall of 2020, he released Letter to You, which was a band with the East, an album with the E Street Band. They recorded over three or four days, is the story. I don't know if that's absolutely total, 100%, you know, but the idea. And, and a, I think it's one of Bruce's best albums. You know, it, it's 70, 71. Mm -hmm. He's putting out this album that deals a lot with loss and um, mourning. Um, the, the catalyst was he was called to the bedside of a member of the band he was with in high school. And mm -hmm. the, the, George was dying. And after George George uh, Cease died, Bruce realized he was the last person alive from that high school band that oh, everyone else had passed. Right. And so he wrote a song called Last Man Standing and uh, I'll See You in My Dreams, a couple other songs dealing with loss. Um, and, you know, I think it's amazing that it isn't just, well, I just was recording another podcast and they were at jazz fest 
and someone was saying that Marsha Ball is um, like 78 and she sounds great for 78. And then there was another musician they were talking about and uh, and she's like 83 and they just said she sounded great, not for her age, just for great. Yes. And so I think this is kind of cool that I'm not saying you're not saying Defiance Volume 1 is a good album, especially considering that someone is 83 putting it out. You're saying on its own, this is a great album. Yeah, and I I say this. I mean, I'll, I'll be really honest. I mean, there's obviously I'm a fan, right? Based on everything that I'm saying, but yeah. I'll literally tell you that as Hunter has released albums, a lot of them are not not a lot, but several of them are not like immediate grabs. You know, I have to listen to them even as a fan. So when people tell me, you know, I really don't like his music, I've never heard of the guy, I don't really care. I get it. I understand. You know, music is totally subjective. And I have to take some listens to a few of the albums or CDs before I really get into it. This thing is totally different. I mean, it's just phenomenal. And if you start seeing who are the artists, and I think the artists who have contributed to the album also see that in him. So again, asking for songs on Defiance Volume 1, just recently out, Bed of Roses, great song. I mean, it's like, this is like the absolutely best single that I think he may have ever released his entire career. It's that good. And he's got a guy that is actually one of the four mop tops. You might have heard these guys from Liverpool. It's Ringo Starr on drums. And then not to mention that, just to go on and on, he's got Joe Elliott. He's got some of the last recordings of Jeff Beck. He's got Taylor Hawkins, who had also passed away. He's got Johnny Depp. He's got all kinds of people, Slash from Guns N' Roses. And I go, how in goodness did he get all of these people to be on this album? And I think he's probably just gotten to the point as you get older that people are recognizing it. This guy who's been around for a very long time, putting out some really quality music. I think they wanted to be a part of this. So I'm really impressed with that. So I say Bed of Roses is a great introduction. If you hear nothing else about Ian Hunter, this is like one of his best albums ever. The second release, I Hate Hate, which is the next single that came out. Again, great song. I think he's writing some of the best things I've ever heard. And I'm saying this knowing that some albums take a little bit of getting into, but I think he was just really revived, but this kind of period in his life and he's not giving up, which is, that's a great attitude. Again, one of the other songs on defiance is this is what I'm here for. And I'm like, yeah, it's like, great. He's here to make music. And so I go, yeah, the guy's sharing his talent, whatever he wants. Great. Oh, I love this. I, I can't, I can't wait to hear it. Um, I don't want to let you go without, Talk to me about the podcast and how did you, why did you decide to start podcasting and, and share a little bit about it? Yeah, the, there's actually two. So the one is Dr. Digital Podcast, which is really business related. So I talk to entrepreneurs. I talk to people that have interesting products or they're interesting people, mostly business related. So, I mean, I'm doing that and it's done it for a number of years. There's over 500 episodes of it. So really that's kind of like this established thing that's I've got going. And then the other one is the aftermath podcast that I have a co-host. And this was based on some things that happened to us when I said I published the novel, which was not a really happy experience of my life, but it was also something that was really critical. 
And once I did that, I also got connected with a third party person who said, you know, there's a woman and a mom who's gone through a very similar experience. I thought that would be a great idea for a podcast. You're getting a mother and a wife on one hand, you're getting a father and a husband on the other, and we're going to give our own perspective. So the Aftermath podcast has also been fairly new, but also really rewarding because it goes back to having some of these traumatic things that we hope that people can heal from and feel better about because they've experienced it and we're trying to help people that. So give them a little bit of experts and what experts tips and things that people would say, this is really what you need to do to order survive and to keep going. And it's the aftermath. It's called the aftermath. Yes. It's about custody, parental alienation and healing is the subtitle. Okay. Nice. Um, and I think you're, the thought is I'd gone through so much of this and if I can help someone else go through this to kind of pay it forward is something you want to do, correct? Sure. And that was the idea that the novel told the story and then fortunately I met this other person who's a co-host who experienced something similar, although we were not connected at all other than starting the podcast and we both wanted, yeah, pay it forward. Let's try to help people because We've been able to survive ourselves and we want to have experts on that can give guidance to other people to say, this is a very traumatic and difficult period in life, but you're not alone. We can help. And here's some good things that people can say, experts who have experienced something similar and it'll help you out. How are things now? Well, in my case, again, this is the difference between the co-host and I. This was a long time ago for me because our daughter, who was the person that was in question here, she now just turned 30. So this is really what earned the bridge as far as I can see. On the other hand, my co-host is still experiencing what she's going through. Not quite through it yet, but I keep urging her, you know, I know I came out with a story here. I got a novel and I published. I can't wait for you to write a book because she's got a phenomenal story. People need to hear what she experienced. And of course, I want to see how she can thrive afterwards because it's all going to work out right in the end. It's nice. So what is some of the advice you give on perseverance and getting through these type of family, you know, struggles? Yeah, I think it's first and most importantly, almost is you're not alone. I mean, because I was thinking back for myself, Although it was many years ago, sure, I felt like I'm the only person in the universe who's experiencing this horrible thing. And I think most people say that. Yeah, you feel totally alone. People don't understand. Friends don't understand. Family doesn't understand always. And you, it's something like it's a stain and you can't get rid of it. So after a while, people start tuning you out. So I think the idea of the podcast is to say, you know, you're not alone. And other pe people have experienced it. We've survived, and we're also going to show you how to thrive. That is to be who and what you are. Don't be afraid to find out who you are and do something different. Okay. Something really bad happened in your life, but try it, you know, turn the page and try new things, find new friends. And it's a matter of just trying to turn that really negative thing in life into something positive. It's a fresh start. Start over again. So, Mick, what have I not asked you that I should have? Well, I don't know if it's um, the Mary question, but I can give you an idea because I'm going to pull on the Ian Hunter songbook. Because yes. Actually, he's got a, a song about a Mary also. 
Okay. He's got a song about resurrection, Mary. And the story is he saw a documentary about this woman who people find, especially taxi drivers outside of Chicago, because apparently this was a person who was a victim of a hit and run accident somewhere around the 1920s. And people have made appearances and said they've seen her. So he's got a song about resurrection, Mary. So it's a good kind of a, a story and related to Mary. That's that's the Springsteen question. Very nice. Yes. Yeah. Uh, listeners, before we talked, um, I, I gave uh, Mick a pass on the Mary question, and, but I did tell him that if he wants to listen to Thunder Road and call back in with his uh, his answer, I will give uh, I will insert this into the podcast. Um, if someone wants to reach you, what's the best way? Yeah, especially if uh, you're interested in Hunter at all, because like I say, I got this book coming out on Sonic Bond Publishing. So if you're interested at all, would like to know more, the book will be out probably in the summer. But you can get a hold of me at the Doctor of Digital at Proton.me, M-E. So the Doctor of Digital at Proton.me. And I also have, they're interested in, say, the aftermath or things along those lines. I also have a Burning America community on Instagram and also on Patreon. So Burning America community. But if you want to get a hold of me directly, the Doctor of Digital at Proton.me. What's next for you? What do you what besides the book? What what else do you want to do? Well, there's it's almost like, you know, I'll tell you people, if you're you're seeing it physically or you know, visually, I got a gray or white beard. So people ask you, when are you retiring? And I'm kind of having the the inspiration of Hunter at 83, and I'm going to keep on going. So actually what I have in mind is I'm adapting and have adapted the novel as a screenplay. So after I get finished with the Ian Hunter on track series book, I'm going to start shopping around the screenplay based on the novel Burning America. And I've also got two other books in preparation as well. So I've got plenty to do. And I have limited time to do it. So I'm going to be really dedicating myself to getting more done and producing more. Good for you. Well, I have enjoyed uh, visiting with you. I cannot wait to go explore this, this release of him, uh, you know, Defiance, uh, Ian Hunter. I, I, I'm really looking forward to hearing this, this music that you speak so highly of especially being such a fan and to put it, you know, your first instinct is to say, yeah, you can go back to his old stuff, but listen to this newest album. I think you're going to be impressed is, is very cool. Very and, nice to see. One other thing to note about it. And I thought it's really cool. He actually wrote a song about Memphis. And if anybody has not been to Memphis, I highly encourage you to go to Memphis. Talk about a music. So you got Elvis Presley, you got Stax records, you got Beale street, Great things, but actually this album, Defiance Volume 1 by Ian Hunter, is on, of all places, Sun Records. So I go, this is just, it's like, it's too good to be true. You know? Oh, but, that uh, is great. It's a Sun Records release. Yes. Um, right before the pandemic, um, I had been laid off and I got a new job very quickly and they didn't need me to start till February 10th. So we took a long weekend and went to Memphis, my wife and I, and did every music museum they had. We went and heard live music every night. Awesome. We ate good foods. And yes, I, I um, absolutely, uh, you know, we adore New Orleans, 
but Memphis holds its own as far as amazing culture, amazing history of uh, music. So yeah, I, I, I echo that. Um, go to Memphis in the meantime, as Mr. John Hyatt says. Yes, yes. absolutely. It's Good. an awesome place. Yeah. Well, Mick, this is great. Thank you so much for joining me and spending some time. I look forward to hearing more and checking out the music and I'll shoot you a quick email and tell you what I thought. Okay. Oh, that'd be awesome. I really appreciate your time and effort and uh, anybody that admires Bruce, you know, it's a good friend of mine because I like Springsteen too. Well, there you go. I want to thank you, Mick. Thank you listeners. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds Bye. good. Thanks, Jesse. Bye. There we go. Another episode. I'm about to go through a couple of things where you can reach me and give me feedback. Um, so if you want to skip this, I understand, but I do hope you check it out every once in a while. I'm available on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is available at set lusting Bruce. You can send me an email set lusting Bruce at gmail.com. You can send me a voicemail at four, six, nine, two, four, nine, two, four, four, two. I am currently doing a few other podcasts, perfectly good podcast, John Hyatt from A to Z, where Sylvan Groth and I discuss every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order. My Babylon 5 podcast is Last Best Hope for Conversation, where Lou, Karen, and I discuss every episode of Babylon 5 in chronological order. I still am doing Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast with my brother in time, Charles Gaggs. And then finally, How Many Podcasts, the only podcast on the internet that counts, where my buddies and I discuss pop culture. You can go to our Patreon page and support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. You can go to our Facebook page, like, and please, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and leave a five-star rating and review for all of the podcasts that I'm doing. It's okay if you don't listen to them, but if you subscribe and rate, it really will make my day better. Thank you, and I will talk to you soon. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, said Listening Bruce. The theme for Set Listening Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett.
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at fantasy points. Fantasypoints.com code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.